So what was it like? Travis. Very to supper. It was very unsettling. Didn't you find it unsettling? Well, for a minute or two, but once I counted my fingers and toes. I don't know. I just don't feel right. Well, it's probably that storm. You don't forget things like that too quickly. It's not the storms. It's the transporter. I don't feel like myself since I went through it. Now, I need to check the medical database and find out what happened to the people they used when they were testing that thing. You mean other than Cyrus Ramsey? <laughs> Cyrus Ramsey? Oh, don't tell me you don't know about poor Cyrus. Am I supposed to? You can't go on a survival overnight without hearing a story about someone seeing Ramsey's molecules rematerializing on a foggy night. What happened to him? Next thing you'll tell us you never heard of the Easter Bunny. What happened to him? Madison, Wisconsin. May, I think. 2146. He was a test subject for the first long-range transport. Just 100 meters. Something went wrong with the pattern buffer. It never rematerialized. Come on, Oshie. Everybody's heard of Cyrus Ramsey. I must have fallen asleep before the ghost stories. Hello and welcome to Snap Trek, the podcast which compares two episodes of the galaxy's favourite science fiction franchise, Star Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Ross Webster, and I'm joined as ever by Jen Tiff. Hello, Jen. Hey, Ross. What's up? How are you doing? <laughs> doing well. Thank you. How about yourself? Excellent. I am all right. Good. Uh, not good. too bad at all. Um, good. Not too long since we last recorded, so I feel like I feel like we're all caught up. I we're caught like up. I know, I know yeah, all your opinions good. about things. I know exactly where you where you stand on stuff. Um, you know me too well. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> does. However, Jen, today, as a precaution, in case one of us fades from view, we have Ooh. a special guest joining us today. Michael, hello. How are you? Hello, Ross and Jen. Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is one of my very, very favourite podcasts, and I'm just like really thrilled to be here talking about these two wonderful episodes of Star Trek with you. Well, we really appreciate having you on, and well, you did suggest this sort of theme, and you brainstormed the categories with us, so we're, we're glad to have you on board. You're the perfect person to talk about this stuff with. Oh, um, thank you. Some kind of game? I've never seen that one before. How do you play? During each Snap Trek, we compare the episodes using a variety of categories, and we select a scene or line or alien or prop which we think is excellent, and we award points to the answer which we think is the best. Aggressive. Adversarial. Competition. For fun. Snap Trek is a competition, but it's played just for fun. There are no prizes or trophies. The real aim is to have a great conversation about Star Trek and perhaps think about the episodes in a new way. We would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at SnapTrek. Please send your ideas for episode comparisons and the categories we could use. And of course, send us any Star Trek lyrical recaps or Star Trek poetry, haiku, limericks or rhymes or anything of that nature. We love to hear them. On a personal note, you can get in touch with me, Taborg at strtrk1701. And Jen? And you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at edetworks. And Michael, how can we get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, you can reach me on Twitter as well. I'm at Michael Angie. So that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-N-G-I-E. 
Excellent. Well, we do have rather a lot to go through in this ethereal episode, as our heroes are rendered intangible following a transporter disruption. Though assumed inanimate, these insubstantial individuals are still able to foil a potential plot which threatens their respective enterprises. I'm anticipating a spirited discussion as we compare... <laughs> Jen? Uh, I was lucky enough to watch TNG Season 5, Episode 24, The Next Phase. Excellent. And there are a few comparison episodes here. Mike, what are you looking for? Michael, what are you looking for? Uh, well, I was lucky enough to watch uh, Enterprise uh, Season 2 uh, episode. I cannot remember which one it was, but it that matter. was Vanishing Point. Ooh. Two episodes <laughs> which are sneakily similar, but approach the same problem in quite different ways, and I think are just perfect for Snap Trek. Yeah, they both have, have very different vibes. They really do. Yeah. Mm. And even though one is set during a funeral, it seems really jolly. And <laughs> the other one, the other one seems really scary and yeah. even much more foreboding. Yeah, they yeah, they one's super creepy and you really feel the 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 loneliness of it, and the other one's more of a Solve the mystery, solve yeah. the scientific mystery one. Maybe yeah. just one of them yeah. was made intangible with a friend. You got like yeah. a chum. You can, you know, yeah. we'll figure this out. Right. Whereas, obviously, Hoshi's going through this all by herself. She yeah. thinks yeah. she's not even sure it's happening, and that's why it's like playing on her mind. And is she going crazy? Is this really happening? Am I really here? Even. Yeah, and and Hoshi too. Like a lot of stuff happens to her before she turns invisible too so there's yeah. a lot more psychological things mm. happening <laughs> whereas in, in the next phase it's just right to you know yeah. transporter they're invisible and that's the whole show so yeah yeah, yeah there's think, a lot yeah. of different different it really plays into hoshi's character as well because yeah. she has that she's she lacks confidence in her own abilities and she, lacks, yes. she doesn't feel she deserves her place on the ship and this is just playing into that again Do, is even anything wrong with me am i just making this up and you know her dealing with that is another level of like that oh is this really happening to me right, the, right. The yeah, it's, a, it's a character study of her i think it's got a sort of science fictional sort of idea in the foreground but but really underneath it it's a character study and it's i think it's her journey from like i'm scared i don't know what's going on to um realizing that she you know and using her ingenuity her determination and finally courage you know mm -hmm. she overcomes her fear um and so it's a real sort of character study i mean yeah there's there's with with geordie and roe it's kind of you've got the the um they're very different characters in some ways and um and and roe at the beginning thinks she knows what's happened um geordie kind of is determined that it's not that right <laughs> um and and so you've got that the contrast in their characters there but they're still working together to figure these things out um and um so it's more of a kind of an adventure or a sort right. of a, like a thriller you know yeah. it's kind of you know, sci-fi so, action yeah yeah right i feel we're going to tread on some categories Category toes here, so let's <laughs> let's let's save save all the good stuff for the competition. Don't give any yeah. points away. 
Okay. Commander, I would like to remind you about my poetry reading this afternoon. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I can't wait to see what he's come up with. As ever, we begin with a lyrical recap of the episode under discussion. Jen, would you please give us your lyrical recap for the next phase? All right. I uh, just went straight up Limerick for the next phase here. That's why. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. All right. So this is my Limerick for the next phase. Jordy and Roe fade away. Collateral damage of Murox style play. Roe thinks she's a ghost, but what haunts her the most is never knowing what Riker would say. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very good. Nice one end. of my favorite parts of the episode. <laughs> we'll oh, talk about so it good. in that's more detail so later, but it's just such a funny little <laughs> uh, that's a, thing. That's a lovely sort of thing to pick up on, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I just love the, the scene in the party when she shoots him. Oh, she, right between <laughs> the eyes, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I feel like even though Rose only been in it for like half a season, yeah. that point, yeah. you know her so well. You uh, know her yeah. so well by how yeah. she acts in that party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good phases. point. Yeah, and her yeah. and Riker. Oh, that's always a pair I, I really enjoy. I have a. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, we say this so often. It's a crime we didn't see more of Rose. Yeah, Rose, oh, for it's sure. Such a shame, and there's so much opportunity for her to come back. I think yeah. even now. Mm, it could happen it could happen anyway (laughs) you never might get her on lower deck so you never know mike please i'd love to hear your lyrical recap she might end up on lower decks that's true uh i I was thinking picard to be honest i was thinking she might come back in Picard. she's still working she's still working i think um yeah michael please your lyrical recap for vanishing point okay well i've 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 actually done two. They're they're short ones. Um, <laughs> uh, one of them is a sort of the first one is a I don't know. It's a kind of a free form poem. I, I'm not even sure if it's a poem, but it's um I I did it as an acrostic as as yes. well, um, spelling out Hoshi's name because I figured like she she spends probably the most important scene in the episode really. Um, trying to communicate in code and an acrostic is a kind of a code so i figured you know it might be a nice thing to do for her um so like i said not sure if it's exactly a poem or not but it's it totally is definitely (laughs) so okay so here i am between real and unreal observing yet unobserved striving in vain to be seen and heard yet Hoshi I remain, and there's more here at stake. I can still save my friends. Oh, that's beautiful. That was really good. <laughs> that really was lovely. excellent. Well, that's well, thank good. you. And you can hear the acrostic in it as well. Yeah. It yeah. Yeah. Uh, very and good. It, it fits. You can kind of hear like like some of that like just existential loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. In the in that poem and in the situation she's in, and that that makes it even all the more lovely that it, you know it's an acrostic for her name. Oh, I love it! Really yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Well, it, I mean, after that, I thought that, that there's, there's a particular running joke in the episode, which I think is really funny, and I just wanted to write something short that reflected that, and so I thought I'd write a little limerick. Um, 
not an acrostic one, <laughs> which uh, would have been strange. Um, but um, it, it, I just wanted to capture some of the humor because I think there is some humor in the episode, it's, it, mm -hmm. despite all the spookiness. So anyway, there was a young ensign called Hoshi who transported fine. Okay, mostly. <laughs> with, such, with such strength of the heart, she could never come apart or end up the next Cyrus Ramsey. Oh. <laughs> Cyrus Ramsey. That's very good. Oh my god. I'm oh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt either. That was very funny. <laughs> that was really good. I, I just find the whole Cyrus Ramsey thing hilarious. I don't oh, know it's why. So funny. Yeah, it, it's such a, it's such a perfect name for like a ridiculous urban legend person yeah, too. It is. Cyrus Ramsey. <laughs> I know, because <laughs> I, I, I always think of this episode as like a dream, you know, like, the, yeah. the, you know, like what, the scene when she's on the bridge and she's trying to translate the alien language and she can't do it and it doesn't make any sense. And it's like one of those dreams you have when you, you, you turn up at, for an exam and you've revised for the wrong subject or something. Yeah, and all your teeth fall out and you're only wearing or, a pair of shoes. Yeah, or you, or you, or you you know, do a podcast and you've watched the wrong episode or, you know. <laughs> I've never have done that. Or like, or like, or like, or like, when you walk onto the bridge and you haven't got dressed first. Um, yeah, that's you know, so funny. Um, oh yeah, but, that's right. <laughs> but, um, so, so, so it's like that kind of anxiety dream. But also, like, have you ever had one of those dreams where there might be something really specific, like a, like a name, you know, and it, and it, or or something that happens in it that makes perfect sense when you're having a dream but then you wake up and you think like that doesn't make sense how did i think right. of that and i just imagine hoshi afterwards thinking like where did i get the name cyrus Ramsey from <laughs> yeah yes that's so good i love it and it'd be so it. much fun if it if it actually had been real but you know because yeah, then you could have yeah. introduced them in later star trek so like in 32nd century you know, oh in Discovery, gosh. you know, they're still talking about him, you know, he's so famous, <laughs> he's like, their, thousand years later. Urban <laughs> so, yeah. I love it. Oh, so, that's yeah. funny. Okay. All right. All right. Let's begin this snap track. Let's do it. I think I'm going to start with, I think I'm going to start with the very premise of what's going on with, uh, can you hear me now? Mm. Uh, so, okay. Michael, could you give us uh, your "Can you hear me now?" moment? <laughs> well, this is yeah. I mean, this is so appropriate for this episode because um, Hoshi spends really most of the episode making many attempts at communication, different kinds of attempts at communication. Uh, the first one, I think, has real poignancy. And that's her attempts to be taken seriously by her imaginary crewmates who all react in the ways you'd expect, given that her experience seems to be impossible. Um, and I think it's, that's part of the episode's character study of her and her insecurities. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of live with a health anxiety, so I really feel for her. I know how even doctors can sometimes dismiss, like, valid concerns as hypochondria um so um so really i really feel for her in those scenes and then there's her um apparently inexplicable failure to communicate with the aliens um yeah. first with the universal translator 
then by simply speaking to them, as Malcolm suggests, then back with the Universal Translator, while T'Pol tells her later that Kruman Baird deciphered their language easily and says it was a simple bimodal syntax. And that's the real Even kicker, though, isn't it? That's, I mean, yeah. that's so, like, to, to, to not be able to do something is one thing, but to then hear that somebody else did it yeah. with a snap of I the mean, fingers, yeah, that's, that's the worst right. part. That's right. Hoshi's mortified and just doesn't understand it at all. She says, Baird doesn't know the first thing about the linguistic database. And that, for me, is one of the first signs that something really weird is happening that, you know, we're really confused by. Then after, her, after she completely disappears or seems to completely disappear, she does the same thing that basically Geordie and Roe did in their episode of just standing in front of people and trying to make them see and hear her. Um, and there are several creepy false alarms here where people don't seem to see her, but then they do. Um, for instance, in the mess hall, um, when she approaches Paul, and Paul doesn't appear to notice her at first, but then suddenly she does notice her. Um, the same thing happens in sick bay with um, flocks. Um, so... Unlike in the next phase, her dis disappearance is really gradual, which is partly what makes it so odd and so creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, once she's discovered the aliens, her attempts to communicate cease to be about her, and they're much more urgent. So there's what I, I think is the brilliant ready room scene. Um, while Archer's talking to um, Hoshi's father, who rather weirdly happens to be Buck Bakai from DS9. <laughs> I love it. I, yes. thought Jen, I thought Jen would like that. <laughs> that is one of the highlights <laughs> for me. Um, she, she tries to attract Archer's attention by pushing her fingers through the screen and waving her fingers through her dad's face, which I think is kind of comical, especially <laughs> given the scene's emotional weight, because Scott Bakula and that moment is like really really moving i mean he's acting his heart out he is but he and needs then... some lessons in breaking bad news oh my god this is terrible he does a really bad job <laughs> that's right i agree but nobody on nobody on the crew has died before i don't I, I, unless i'm forgetting something i don't oh, think anyone on the, the crew has died before so this might be the first time he's actually done this oh man but even so, he should yeah. have lessons. Yeah, still not um, an excuse for just how terrible it is. Yeah, you shouldn't be confusing the father of the person you're trying oh to tell. My God. It was it was awful. Yeah. But my choice for what she my pick for what she is um her her attempt at communication is what she does next, because it's so typically hoshi. She pushes her fingers through a plasma circuit on the ceiling, making a faint noise which I, I struggled to hear, but Archer, Archer heard it. Um, and making the lights blink to spell SOS in Morse code. Three dots, three dashes, three dots. The noise catches Archer's attention, and he recognizes the code quickly. Her next step is perfectly logical, because SOS could, I think, be just about dismissed as coincidence. And it doesn't really say very much anyway, like who's in danger, who's talking, you know, what, what's actually happening. So she next spells out her name in Morse code, H-O-S-H-I. Unfortunately, Archer doesn't recognize this, 
And um, when this switch from SOS to her name takes place, to Paul um, dismisses it and suggests that the captain get some rest and he agrees. So I'm, I'm choosing this because it's, it's really, really hoshi. It's real sort of hope. It's the sort of thing that other crew members might have thought of, but it's the sort of thing that she would think of because code and communication is her speciality. Absolutely. And also it's, also it's both ingenious and very simple. It's not techno babble. It's not weird imaginary physics. It's a real life thing. It's Morse code. Um, and like I said, that's her, her speciality and a whole episode, in fact, is about how she trying to, to communicate. I, I think I think that is an absolutely perfect pick. And it would definitely be what I would have picked as well for this episode. I just when it happened, I was so disappointed by Archer's and DePaul's lack of response to it. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, I think it's bleeping an SOS. Oh, I'll have someone fix it. <laughs> and we know well, that would that would never happen. That would never happen. No, no. Uh, but of course, never. it's in Hoshi's mind, so maybe oh, yeah. it wouldn't have happened. Oh, of course, in, in, in the dream, of course, the worst thing that would happen should happen. Yeah. But yeah. If, we, if that was really happening, Archer would have been like, no. If someone's SOSing, we've got to find out who they're SOSing. We're not running a, we're not finding it, we're not stopping yeah. it, we're finding out where it's coming yeah. from. He'd definitely do that. But it's a li- it's also a little bit in character, especially for T'Pol. I mean, she's like, yeah. She's like Scully and he's Mulder, isn't it? I mean, it's oh, always yeah, like yeah. the Vulcan science director that says time travel is impossible and <laughs> all of that. So, um, so, so it's kind of in character for them. But yeah, if it was blinking SOS, you'd think that he would, you know, he'd, he'd want to know what's going on. He I, wouldn't just, you know. I actually listened to a podcast not that long ago which discussed where SOS comes from and in Morse code. And the reason it was picked is because it's very hard to confuse the three dots, three dashes and three dots. Everything else was very confusing. You wouldn't mm-hmm. know necessarily what it was, but those three things, that pattern, you can repeat that pattern and people will get it. Everything else is very complicated or too confusing. So that's why SOS doesn't actually mean anything. Save Our Souls was put on afterwards. Oh, right. I didn't know that. The pattern came first and it just happened to be SOS. Mm. Um, mm. That is go. interesting. Yeah, and and knowing that history too, it's also it, it makes it even more annoying that uh, <laughs> Archer and Paul ignored it because <laughs> it, it, there's nothing natural about three three short, three long, three short. Like there's nothing mm. natural about that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's yeah. all. It's like you guys. <laughs> I mean, if I were mathematicians, you know, she might have done like prime Fibonacci. <laughs> Oh, but but I I love that moment too. I'm really glad you picked that because it's just it's just so it's it's so hoshi to find a way to mm. uh, have a le- you know to use language use a language to communicate yeah. even when she's invisible, <laughs> you yeah. know. And um oh and, and it's so frustrating because it should have worked, but yeah. But yeah. having it again in the background uh, on the backdrop of Archer delivering delivering the news to her father is is just so yeah. It's a really weird position, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, because it's like she's she's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's quite brutal as well, isn't it? To have the dad in the room while yeah, while yeah. and the dad's really um, 
he's he's not just upset, but he's also really annoyed and confused. Yeah. His archer says, like, oh, she's a member of our family. And he says, what do you mean? She's she's our family. We're her family. You're, yeah. you're not her family. And oh, that yeah, always Archer. strikes me as kind yeah. of odd as well. Yeah, you know? it was not um, a good conversation. No. It was horrific. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, it's so hard to listen to. Like, this scene is very hard to listen to. Archer messes this up so bad. It's like the, I always think of that, um, the swingers. Have you guys ever seen the movie Swingers? When he leaves the voicemail or well, it wasn't vo- you know on the message on the answer machine uh, and he and he keeps calling back and making it worse and oh you're just god. like oh my god oh my shut god. up shut up shut up <laughs> <laughs> archer shut up you are messing this up so bad yeah <laughs> like, right, second hand embarrassment archer we've heard enough, we've heard right. enough. <laughs> <laughs> i'm almost gonna dock a point from you mike <laughs> <making Europe. laughs> I mean, he, he he feels terrible though, doesn't he? I mean, oh yeah, it, I mean, just, it, you know, in his defense too, because he's feeling bad. Yeah, in his defense too, Hoshi's literally one of his favorite people in the world. You know, besides yeah. maybe Trip, <laughs> you know, Hoshi's yeah. the one that he's the closest to and lo- you know, literally loves. So yeah, and he, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm feels responsible for her. And, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I I mean I might say more about that later, but I yeah. I always feel that there's a real connection between archer and hoshi yeah um just yeah, as there is between archer and trip and archer right. and depole <laughs> but they archer and hoshi i think they knew each other before the mission yeah. started and there's a connection definitely right I and mean, he you know he basically handpicked her to come with him so he yeah. probably feels extra you know guilty extra guilty yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay Jen, what do you have for Can You Hear Me Now? Okay, so we, we have we have some good scenes uh, with our crew because we also have a clever, we have a clever scientist, <laughs> you know, like Hoshi, you know, we have LaForge here um, trying to find, figure out how to communicate too. Uh, before I get to, before I get to the, the good ones, I did have one little runner up that I thought was cute was actually LaForge trying to communicate with Roe. <laughs> Yeah. uh he, he he's listening to to uh data you know try to figure out what happened with the accident and he gets an idea and what he does is he um he hits his comm badge and he says laforge to ensign row <laughs> and it doesn't work obviously he's like oh yeah i forgot <laughs> and then he has to go find her you know like a cave person you know <laughs> i have to go walk to her gym. oh my god and that just made me laugh <laughs> So that was a communication attempt that didn't work. <laughs> um, but but we have, there's a really fun scene with um, another runner-up is a really fun scene with LaForge and Data. And Data's finding all these chronoton fields. I love chronotons. You know, he's finding all these chronoton yeah. fields and the, mm. they're in engineering. And um, and Jordy, and Jordy's kind of working through um, you know, uh, data's, uh, data's thought process of, of like, oh, there's quantum fields here. And, and Jordy realizes that he's the one that's making the field. So he's trying to, um, trying to lure data to, to the fact that, that these aren't random. And when he does these, you see him poke in his hands in the, 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 um, the workstation, you know, in different spots and watching data come in and measure the changes. And, and he has a, a, a really lovely one-sided conversation 
uh, with data, you could be like, you know, come on, data, you know, it's me, you can figure this out, you you got this, you know, these aren't just random patterns, and, and he's sticking his hands, and, you know, and I keep thinking, stick your hands in the form of a G, like, spell Jordy or something, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I really thought that, I thought, was he like a, like right? a sparkler? Yeah. And like wave his arms up and down. Like right, right. D and right. a yes. <laughs> We are invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Semaphore. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but but the the scene I picked, um, you know, is 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 the the funeral. We'll talk about the aspects of the funeral later, which are is just one of my favorite scenes uh, for other reasons. But the communication attempt here, this is this is pretty clever. They figure out that that um the that data's got an anion emitter uh and he's sweeping the enterprise to get to get rid of all the chroniton fields that they're generating so they they say hey let's make a metric s ton of chroniton fields so they'll have to jack it up and then they'll be able to see us for you know a few seconds and um you know they do it and they go around and that's you know the 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 part the lovely part that you mentioned michael where she she shoots Riker straight through the head with the, you know, with the, with the phaser to, uh, you know, while, while they're just trying to spread chronotons around, and they, um, and they do it, and and data, you know, data, you know, gives an order to to sweep ten forward, and and they do it, and it's not enough. So uh, their plan is then, well, we've got this phaser. If we overload this phaser, that'll, you know, be a huge burst of chronotons, and and then that'll that'll have to work. This is our last ditch effort, and you know, sure enough, they. Um, you know, they blow up, they overload the phaser, it blows up, they hide behind furniture, which is interesting, <laughs> considering that they're out of phase with the furniture. That just always makes me laugh. <laughs> um, I but... that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that entirely as I was watching it. Like, what are they hiding behind? The blasts <laughs> go through. <laughs> It makes me laugh every time. It's so like I don't care. I love this. Like I I I love so 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 much. I don't care that like they should be going through the floor or whatever. You know, I don't care that hide behind furniture that you know <laughs> that won't help it. Whatever, it works for me. It's just a fun episode. But uh, but anyway, so they do that, and then then that works. Data says you know anion emitter at maximum or whatever maximum beam, <laughs> and um, and they do it and. They're, they stand right in front of Data and Picard and frantically wave their arms and they show up for a few seconds and and sure enough, Data figures it out from that, you know, and Jordy's doing the same, you know, Jordy's doing the great thing, you know, of cheering him on. Come on, Data, you get, you got this. What does this mean? So, you know, please, you figured out. please get this right, Data, please. Right, yeah, <laughs> this is literally our last chance. Get it right. And he does. Um, and, you know, and then Data, you know, maximum beam and they... Uh, and they show up at their own funeral. <laughs> they materialize on the floor at their own funeral in the best entrance ever, you know. <laughs> and uh, and problem solved. So so that communication worked. And that's I love that scene. I love everything about that scene. Yeah. So that's my pick. <laughs> Excellent picks. Now the juicy part is. <laughs> So okay. points. So points wise, Michael, what's your points for? Can you hear me now? Oh, it's difficult because they're they're such different scenes. Like particularly in their mood, mm -hmm. um, like the, the Jen scene is is just really entertaining. Um, I mean, uh, 
the, the best funeral they've ever been to for a start. <laughs> so it's just like you got Riker up there on his trombone, you've got Roe and Roe firing oh, yeah. things to try and increase the amnion emissions and um and then you've got them materializing and everybody kind of like just staring and Riker stops his trombone playing and it's 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 just so entertaining and so 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 just it's just got you know when they reappear it's just got such a warm-hearted feeling as well <laughs> yes um i mean i i just find this hot, the whole episode so entertaining and that's and that, that's just such a lovely scene but i i don't know I, it's difficult it's so difficult for me to be objective because Hoshi's one of my favorite characters in Star Trek for for various reasons and I I I don't know I just I think I feel for her so much in this situation and she's like struggling to do this on her own and it doesn't work you know even though she does all the right things she's doing mm -hmm. using this really ingenious real world method of communication um, and it still doesn't work. Um, and it's, I don't know, I just think it's such a good scene from, from a sort of Hoshi character point of view. I don't, I don't know, I, 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 th I still feel like I, I want to give my point to Hoshi, really. That's legit. One, yeah. one to Hoshi. Yeah, Jen, but... where, where are you thinking? Yeah, this is a challenging one too. I like I like that scene a lot in uh, Vanishing Point. I, I like it, it's clever of her to think of that because um, it's such a random little. She found the one little nugget of thing in in their world yep. that she can, you know, that she can uh, manipulate, mm. and she does it. And that you know, um, it's such a bummer that it doesn't work because it should have worked. <laughs> mm. um, but I I have such a I just have such a love for that the way that they resolve the. Uh, the Roe and Jordy thing with them mm. literally materializing on the floor in their own funeral. I think that's, that's so fun. And, you know, because data Jordy's best friend who is the yeah. MVP <laughs> for so many reasons in this episode figures it out. And I just, I just, I just really love that. So I really want to give that, that a point. I do. I do love the scene when they come back in, in their funeral and i particularly love that they stay at their funeral and enjoy it and then <laughs> eat all the you know stay there eating the food and having a good time which is completely legitimate which is yeah. what i would do i think i'm i'm gonna give my point to hoshi because i feel like she's really she's really through it going through it in the episode but also i love the fact she used morse code i really like i really like those old school communication techniques yeah and it reminds me a lot of the scene in star trek 5 where they, the Morse code comes through the through the oh, wall, yeah. and we have to stand oh, back. Oh, the brig. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I I like that scene. I thought, oh yeah, a bit of Morse code and stuff. <laughs> so I, I am down for that. So I'm going to give my point to Hoshi as well for this one. Okay. So uh, after round one, it's two points. It's two vanishing points, and <laughs> <laughs> one for the next phase. I <laughs> oh, love it. So let's head on to round two. And why don't we go for well let's let's find out. Now we know what's happening to our, our main characters. Why don't we find out what's happening with the big baddies? <laughs> uh Jen, what's happening with your big baddies? Oh, our big baddies are the Romulans. Ooh. 
and they are bigger than that, are they? It doesn't get much bigger than that, and they are ungrateful SOBs in this episode. (laughs) They are the absolute worst in this episode. They have, uh, you know, uh, the Enterprise intercepts their distress signal. Perfectly lovely thing to do. Go, you know, humanitarian, help the Romulans. Um, They they offer to, um, you know, to help them you know there's a failure in their engine core their captain's dead there's you know a whole whole mess of really big trouble here and they're basically stranded in space and the enterprise comes to the rescue they would have exploded if the enterprise hadn't extended the sheet their shields uh when their um their engine ex- you know co- their core exploded um and they the enterprise gives them a subspace resonator so they could make it home all the way you know and what do they get for their troubles <laughs> they get the Romulans who don't want, they think the Enterprise is getting too close to discovering what they are, um, you know, what they're experimenting with, which is this, you know, phase inverter cloaking device combo, uh, like like the, the Pegasus device. Yeah. And, um, and they don't want the Enterprise to discover that. So they're going to blow them up. <laughs> so... Blowing up their ship is is their solution to the Enterprise knowing too much, and um, and it's such a bummer because Picard's really trying to use this as a, a you know, as as he's he's reaching out his hand, you know, mm. to the Romulans here, and you know, like like they go they they go over. Riker says we're not taking weapons, you know, and we're just we're just going over. This is just humanitarian aid, and they go over, do what they can to help. And, and, you know, at the end, you know, he doesn't, the Romulan um, new captain, (laughs) the science officer, you know, uh, it plays a pretty good, plays his hand pretty well. doesn't tip, you know, tip off, tip anything off. Um, You know, Picard is like, I really hope this could be the start of something in the future of us working together. And he's like, yeah, sure. Picard. I agree. We're, we're buddies. (laughs) I I was legitimately shocked when he said, this is what we're going to do. And he outlined his plan. Number number one. I, I really felt, I felt affronted. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe that after all the help they've given you, you're going to pay them back by blowing them up. Right. Mm. It was mm. so devious. They are the worst. In this it was unbelievable. <laughs> as, unbelievable. As, as Wolf would say, the Romulans have no honour. No honour. No honour whatsoever. This, <laughs> this perp, you know what? If he'd said that during this episode, totally, I, you, you couldn't Legit. have disagreed with him. Legit. It yeah. was such a wrong yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And I thought it was quite, I thought it was quite funny when, Riker and Wolf were talking about the, the kind of technology they were going to loan the Romulans. Right. You know, can we mm. give them a computer core that's like 30 years out? Right. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I suppose the Enterprise is hauling some of those around. You know, we've all got old stuff in the loft, haven't we? I, I, yeah, I picture like the, them dusting <laughs> off an Apple IIe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, don't, but don't, you think it's, don't you think it's ironic that, I mean, as you mentioned, Jen, you know, this is basically, it sounds very much like the device that Admiral Pressman was mm-hmm. using in the yep. Pegasus or trying to develop there. Exactly. Which is a combination of a cloak and some kind phase of device murder, that makes yeah. you phase out of yeah. out, you know, into 
you know, slightly out of reality, slightly out of yeah. sync with reality. So it's, um, it's weird to me that they've said the Klingons have been experimenting with this. Oh, and yeah. Again, mm. it's the Klingons who are at the <laughs> forefront of the technological advances. They're they're there with the time crystals. They're there with the, oh, that's right. You know, creating the creating the the, the the phase shields. It's like wow, the Klingons really come up with some big ideas. Yeah, you know. So I, I was pretty impressed with that. It was pretty impressive. And and we yeah. also have to I also have to mention the Romulan who is also out of phase, and he's smart enough not to tip his hand to Jordy and Roe until he hitches a ride back to the Enterprise, but then he decides to pull his gun on Roe, and become a real dick about it. When I bet you any amount of money, <laughs> Jordy and Roe would have worked with him to help find a solution yeah. for all of them. <laughs> But instead, he effed around and found out, didn't he? <laughs> oh my god! And I, I actually feel bad for him. For you know, he gets thrown out of the thrown uh, through ten forward windows. I mean, what a way to die! Just like float <laughs> in, in space until you die. Would he even die? Yeah, exactly. Would he still he be would, alive? He, out he of wouldn't. Space? He'd be alive until he like starved to death, or you know, what like, a way that's to go. Horrible! It's horrifying what happened to him. I never thought of that. You mean because he's out of phase, he wouldn't sort of suffocate. Yeah. yeah. Like Yeah, he's like, not gonna like die in three would. seconds, yeah, being out in spit in the vast you know, in the void of space. Right. He, he's just gonna float until he Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I just imagine that the Romulans I just imagine that the Romulans were so desperate to keep this new cloaking system secret that they just thought like we've got to destroy the enterprise so that nobody finds finds mm. out about this um which i suppose from their point of view there's a certain logic behind that but it is like the romulans being particularly dastardly yeah <laughs> yeah that's a very romulan re reaction yeah. to, to this is you know we'll yeah. just kill whoever has too much <laughs> whoever knows too much yeah yeah, yeah. but um yeah yeah, they're very Romulan-y in this episode. But um, and also want to mention, uh, uh, every, all the Romulans in this episode are, are, are like have been in, have have played a lot of characters. But we, I really want to pay a special attention to Susanna Thompson, our poor queen, yeah. <laughs> who yeah. makes a lovely Romulan. And I wish she had more, uh, more to do. I, I wish not, like I did not recognize her. I yeah. did not see that. <laughs> I, I, I recognized her this time. I don't know if I'd recognized it before, but just yeah, recently yeah. I saw, um, when I was doing my DS9 rewatch, I saw Rejoined. Yes. Where she plays oh, Dax's. Lenora Khan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so because I'd recently seen that, when I saw this, I thought, oh, it's, it's Susanna Thompson again. Yeah. Didn't oh, realize she was in this um, until I saw it again. So, yeah. Yeah, I, w I wish she would have gotten the one of the other roles when you know either the 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 one that hitched around the Enterprise or the the science officer. Mm. That would have been cool mm. to see because she she's more just like the you know the person that hears what's happening. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that so yeah. that we we hear the plot advance. <laughs> but uh, but she makes a lovely Romulan like she like that makeup just really mm. really suits her. I think and um, it's always just nice to see her. I was yeah, watching. Big... I was Go watching ahead. with my son, and he asked, "Why do they all have the same haircuts and the same <laughs> ears?" I'm like, "That's that's just what they did. That's how Romulans roll. <laughs> that's, right. that's just that's how they are." Any and other haircut is suspicious. Like yeah, exactly. 
Um, it's it's only in Picard that we see that you know the Romulans have there's other aspects to their culture. In fact, there's other cultures within within the Romulan Empire, really, isn't yeah. there? It's just I suppose that's their military. It's like, it, precisely. They, they Can you imagine if, like if you judge an entire, oh, yeah. if you judge an entire country based on the the military personnel you met on their first the first landing? I mean, mm. it, it's just not not really mm. representative of a genuine culture, is it? Right. Mm. Yeah, I'm so grateful for what uh, Picard has done to 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 you know flesh out the Romulans yeah. more because yeah. yeah. Romulans are my favorite baddies of all time and and it just oh my gosh season one of Picard was such a gift in that respect. <laughs> yeah, there were so many different layers to the Romulans. Yeah, in that, in that oh, series, you they're know, so just, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and and I appreciate the tie back to the 2009 film. I I really liked that. I liked bringing all of those threads together. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So. Mm. Okay. All right. Michael, what do you have for big baddies? Uh, well, there's only one pick here. Mm-hmm. Um, mine are just really just generic alien baddies. We don't know anything about them. Um, not only that, but they're imaginary generic <laughs> alien baddies. <laughs> so I don't know if Hoshi maybe saw pictures of them in the Vulcan database or something like that, or if they're just something she she imagined. Um, we've never Cyrus seen them Ramsey. before. She's Cyrus Ramsey. Yeah. Then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we we I don't think we ever see them again. We don't understand why they're trying to blow up the Enterprise, except that when Hoshi comes onto the bridge and uh she's instructed to try and translate their language um archer says they they obviously didn't like you going down there and disturbing their ruins which is another thing that is one of those things that in real life probably archer would never say because after all she would only have gone down there because he sent her there anyway. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed like really, really harsh. He was he seemed really angry with Hoshi in that moment, um, which is just one of those things that in retrospect feels like a clue that none of this is real mm-hmm. um, because the characters would not talk like that. Um, but they have a really, really good voice. I, I Obviously, we don't know what they're saying because we don't hear them translated, but they're sort of like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. and, and you can't imagine what they're saying to each other, but it don't sound very pleasant. <laughs> um, Hoshi hears them uh, a couple of times in a Jeffrey's tube after she's disappeared, um, and Trip and Phlox are searching for her remains. When she finally does see them, um, I basically find it incredibly hard to follow what they're doing, especially as we don't actually hear them talking in English. So we can only sort of try and infer as best we can. Um, Hoshi sees them attaching some sort of bomb in the Jeffrey's tube first, and then later in engineering, where one of them is crawling on top of the Warp 5 engine. Um, They seem to be intending to blow up the ship, perhaps by causing a warp core breach. Um, And Hoshi, back in the, I think it's the Jeffrey's tube, 
does something to the bomb twice, manipulating it to maybe deactivate it. But the aliens seem to catch on both times, even though they can't see her. Um, and then finally, to, I think it's two personal transporter pads materialize, which I think is cool. You know, they're just like transporting transporter pads. Um, and after the aliens beam away, Hoshi jumps onto her pad. Just as, it's just as she's hearing Trip and Malcolm's voices, which sound like they're in a dream or in another place. And it's at that point that Hoshi's imaginary time coincides with real time. And we see her arrive on the NX-01 transporter pad at the conclusion of the transport we saw in the cold open. Um, but obviously it's all imaginary. Um, so um, what the imaginary aliens, imaginary, imaginary motives are, um, we've got no idea. Um, they're just imaginary generic alien baddies. Really, I, I don't know what else to say about them, really. <laughs> um, we, we just don't know anything about them. Just what yeah. they look like and that they're trying to blow up the ship. Yeah, we, we never and learned that, their motivation for blowing no, up the ship. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we know they I want mean, to blow so, up the ship. And they look I like mean, aliens that would want to blow up a ship. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Hoshi did only have one or two seconds to imagine the whole episode. So... <laughs> It's pretty um, good for them. <laughs> she imagined quite a lot of detail considering. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, they're, they're, I don't think they're particularly interesting aliens. They're just, <laughs> you know, they're just generic, really. Um, well, I, th I think it's interesting that she imagined aliens wanting to blow up the ship and he, like that that's where her mind went with this. Because if you think mm. about like 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 a scenario, you know, it's a, she she created a scenario where she was the only one who could do something because she's the only one that knew what was happening, and and that's you know that's another terrifying yeah. way you can have a dream, you know, when yeah. you see something bad happening, you can't stop it. I've had that dream before. Oh, yeah, I hate that, I hate yeah. that one. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so so they're interesting because of their like like they're supposed to just be generic baddies you know what i mean like that's what mm, they don't represent mm. anything in particular except a threat that you can't do anything about you know mm. and, and in that sense i think they're perfect for what they are yeah and i mean even though there were no life signs on the planet that they were investigating yeah. the ruins on in the beginning they were obviously the ruins, the ruins were built by someone right. and so in Hoshi's mind I suppose it's kind of like um, they could have come back to the planet they could have discovered what was going on you know they um, and not look you know being really really upset about it and upset enough to blow up the ship um so um so so yeah I mean it kind of kind of makes sense I mean yeah it wouldn't make sense if it was like a race that we've met before, like the Suliban or someone like that, you know, or the Klingons or um, it's, I mean, she imagines that it's the aliens who, who created the ruins on, on the planet. Right. So, you know, makes sense. Yeah. All right. Okay. What are we thinking about points then? Jen, where are your points going for the, uh, the, the big baddies? Uh, anytime I get a chance to give the Romulans a point, for baddies, I, I I take it because I just adore them so much as bad guys. I think they're they're always interesting, even when they're 
you know, <laughs> they're just, uh, you know, not doing anything specifically strategic or anything here. <laughs> um, but I always just love seeing them. So Romulans for me. And Michael, Romulans or the unnamed assailants? <laughs> uh, the Romulans, no question. Um, I mean, they are one of the big bad alien races in in Star Trek. Although, like we said in, in Picard, they're given a bit more kind of dimension, a bit more subtlety. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean... Really, really nasty. Really, really unforgiving. Really, really ungrateful. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it's got to be the Romulans, definitely. And I've got to agree. I think just because of I think Mirok's duplicitousness, it, it's awful. It, 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 like <laughs> I, I actually gasped in disbelief when he said he was going to do that. So I mean, big baddies. They don't come much bigger than badder than the Romulans. So I've got to give my point to the next phase. He sounds so reasonable, doesn't he? When he's talking to Picard on the view yeah. screen and Picard saying, like, I hope this face. is the beginning of a new yeah. friendship between our peoples or more cooperation or something. And and he's agreeing and he just sounds so, so wrong. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So after two rounds, uh, Vanishing Point has two, still two points. And the next phase has moved up. Of the next phase to <laughs> four points. Okay. Okay. Round three. Well, now that we've got our heroes and our villains in place, we best we better try and find out what's going on. Can we have a uh, sick sick bay moment, <laughs> Michael? What's your sick sick bay moment? Right. There were quite a few a few scenes in sick bay. Um. Hoshi is present in all of them, although in, in one of them, the other characters don't see her. Um, the first couple of Hoshi and Flocks, I just wanted to mention those because um, uh, although this is still relatively early in Enterprise's run, they both show that these two characters have an easygoing relationship that I think grows into a real friendship during the series. I think that Hoshi's two, two sort of strongest friendships, really, I think, in, in Enterpriser with Phlox and Archer. Mm -hmm. um, but the scenes that she has in this are a little bit disappointed with um, imaginary Phlox, really. Um, <laughs> I, I don't feel he takes her, like, completely seriously. Um, he... He does say some very funny things. I mean, just I, I just love I just love Flocks. I love just love the way he talks. Um, she points out the birthmark on her face, and he's like, mm, "Subcutaneous pigmentation." <laughs> and she says, "Well, it was a centimeter lower before." And Flocks replies, "Well, it looks lovely where it is now." <laughs> <laughs> um, if I were you, I'd get a good night's sleep. Hmm? <laughs> and. Um, hard to know if he'd really be that dismissive or if it's again just expressing how she's insecurities really um and after he, what he you're saying her, sound mad. you know yeah he scans her though yeah or, or he does, does. yeah he he, does. you know checks her, checks her out the second time <laughs> the second time he scans a, 
a bit a bit more thoroughly. Yeah. Tells her you are neither transparent nor porous. And as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> That's a good I don't even see you come in. <laughs> which, which provokes a little laugh from her, although she says it's not funny. Um, and there's there's a sense of their friendship and how she's reassured, but it still feels to me like he's not taking it, you know, all that seriously. I feel like the second time she comes, she's she's sufficiently anxious that he he should at least take her anxiety seriously i think and say well you know actually he does he does say you know it must have been a terrifying experience going uh-huh. through the transporter and you know so um and the a, a rather more dramatic scene um between archer to paul and flocks after how she's disappeared uh, I might have more to say about that later. Um, but Flox definitely takes the situation seriously in this scene. Mm-hmm. But my pick is the final scene of the episode. Um, and only partly because this is the only one that, since the old cold open that's actually real. Mm-hmm. Um, more importantly, though, what I like is the glimpse it gives us of Archer and Hoshi's relationship. We don't actually see them alone together all that often. But in Broken Bow, we see that they knew each other before the mission began. And at various points in the series, they have several important or touching scenes together. Uh, Obviously, the most uh, crucial scenes that they have together in Zero Hour, when Archer has to persuade Hoshi, sick and traumatized, to remember the codes for the Zindi weapon and then accompany him inside the weapon to disable it to the, the scene of her trauma, basically. Um, and I think those are some of the most moving scenes in that episode. I think Archer's having to be really pushy with Hoshi, but it's also obvious that Hoshi's really trying and also that Archer really cares about Hoshi. And I, I just want to mention, there's nothing to do with this episode, but there's two brief scenes in two other episodes. One is in Twilight when um, uh, Archer comes aboard the ship for the first time in about 20 years, um, greets the crew warmly. But then when he sees Hoshi, he just says, Hoshi. And he just walks up to her and hugs her. And then when when he pulls away from her, just the look that she gives him is just so... You can... You just sense that there's just like this long, long friendship and affection there. And then also there's a similar moment in Stormfront at the beginning of season four when everybody thinks Archer's dead and it turns out he isn't dead and he comes on board, he comes onto the bridge and Hoshi just rushes up and hugs him. So these things, they just always give me a sense that they have a, I don't know, it feels like, it's more than just a friendship, even though it's absolutely platonic. Um, it's almost like a kind of a mentor-mentee relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it here too in this final scene. Hoshi's feeling a bit embarrassed about the whole thing. Um, but Archer just reminds her that she showed a lot of courage. And Hoshi replies that she was only imagining it. But Archer's like, look, you know, it doesn't matter. You, you thought it was real. You were afraid of using the transporter. 
but you got on it without hesitation to save the ship. And Hoshi replies, smiling, that she'd prefer to stick to shuttle pods for a while. <laughs> and, they, and they leave sickbay together. So what Archer's commenting on here is what the episode has all been about, I think, which is Hoshi's strength of character, despite her anxiety and her insecurities. She overcomes all of that because in her reality, the ship is in danger and she immediately demonstrates her ingenuity, determination and bravery as soon as it's called for. So, you know, like I said, behind the science fictional trappings, there's a character study of Hoshi. And I think Archer is really pointing out to her the qualities which I think you already know she has and that she'll demonstrate later on in Zero Hour Terror Prime when she stands up to the President of Earth or whoever Samuels is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also it's just a really nice, quiet scene to end the episode with. So, so that, that's, that's my pick. It's just a little quiet scene. It's not a, a lot, but it's kind of what's suggested just about their relationship. Yeah. I think that's an excellent pick. And picking a picking a real scene, I think, adds quite a lot of weight to it because a lot of the stuff other is a lot of the other scenes are just quite ethereal and you know they're they're played for that sort of spooky what is it, yeah. isn't it? But this is nice because it has that weight of emotion and it, you're right, it does connect to all the other times. It builds on all their relationship and it makes it what it is. And we know they have a strong connection. And this this shows it. It's a, a nice a nice pick. And um yeah, and also, I mean, let's not overlook the fact that Hoshi's completely 100% right about transporters. <laughs> in, yeah. my, in my opinion, at least. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. would would not, would prefer to not ever be on a transporter pad in my entire life. Um, so I understand her her feelings there. And I understand why the, mm. that was so terrifying of a prospect that her mind, you know, created this, this whole elaborate uh, <laughs> scenario that happened. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we could have easily done this episode with... Um, What's that episode with with Barkley? Uh, uh, oh, Realm of Fear. Yes, Realm of Fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, like I, I totally get that fear. Like it's, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, and this is and, early in the history of Star yeah, Trek. So yeah. this is when very few people have been right. to a transporter. So. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and and there's a point at which Flock says to her, you know, people were probably equally terrified when the automobile was invented or the airplane. He said, yeah. you wouldn't get me going through that contraption. So, um, <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, it's this is very, very early on. I mean, yeah. um, and anybody, you know, would, 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 would be nervous of that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think Hoshi's a particularly anxious person. I think she's just anxious about certain things and she lacks self-confidence in certain areas. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, sometimes which, they, which they shows, give... I think sometimes, know. too, that they give Hoshi the... Like, some character has to be afraid of X, Y, or Z and we give it to Hoshi all the time. You know, yeah. we give that... Yeah. And which seems, always seems a little bit unfair to her character because yeah. she, she's such a badass in every other way you know <laughs> like she's i mean she's so yeah. insanely brilliant and and like 
I just, I, I don't know. It's like, sometimes it doesn't fit, but it's just like, you know, some, it works here in this, in this plot for, for one of the characters to be afraid of this. So we'll give that yeah. to Hoshi. <laughs> I, just, I, know, think one, but. And I think one of the reasons why I like Hoshi's character so much is that, um, like, as you say, she's insanely brilliant. She's she, basically, she's a genius. Yeah, but you kind of like almost don't notice it because she doesn't draw attention to it. She mm -hmm. just gets on with her job. Mm. She just does it, you know. Yeah. and she's 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 brilliant, you know. So, you know, but she's at, at the same time she's just very ordinary. She's just like yeah. us, you know. She's she's not like um, this kind of like superhuman Starfleet kind of Gene Roddenberry ideal. She, you know, yeah. she's 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 um she's just like us. Yeah, and I, and I like the scene you picked too because Archer's saying the same thing that her brain was saying, which is, yeah, you don't like the transporter. You would rather not use it. But if push ca came mm. to shove and you need it to use it to save people, you would do it. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we know that about her, and her brain knows it about her, and Archer knows it about her. And, you know, it's a, you're right. It's a love, like you said, it's a lovely way to end the episode. Um, yeah. with that because that's the yeah. point of it you know you could say like oh this whole episode was a dream what was the point well that was the point you know yeah now we know this yeah. thing about hoshi you know and she knows this thing about herself too and yeah yeah so that's a that's a great pick and uh jen what do you have for six sick bay all right the next phase in the next phase we have we have one scene in sick bay so i didn't have to think too hard about my pick <laughs> but it's a good one it's a good one it it's, is yeah because yeah, it's a, it's an actually really important scene because this is how we we figure out what's happening is uh row materializes on the enterprise but just randomly in a hallway and she makes her way to sick bay she doesn't know anything's wrong and she goes to sick bay and nobody is paying attention to her nobody you know she's saying i need help i need help and no one's even glancing in her direction um and then we see her she witnesses picard and beverly discussing the accident and mm. Jordy and rose death and that's how she learns in her mind that's how she learns that she is now now deceased um <laughs> and which is an interesting way to show us and the character what the situation is you know and mm. um and it's an interesting it's an interesting scene because the way we we know what's happening is is picard the first the first ghostly thing that happens is picard walks right through row mm -hmm. yeah which is which is really interesting and, and and creepy um and then row walks over to crusher and sees her computer and and what's up on crusher's screen but she's filling out the death certificate and and you know, picture of Roe and all of Roe's information, and it says current status deceased, <laughs> which must be. Can you imagine what a creepy scenario yeah. this must be? And mm. like, and like, I kind of understand from this scene. I kind of understand why Roe does think maybe she's a ghost. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe she's <Yeah>. dead. <laughs> they I think mean, I'm totally. dead. No one can see me. I can walk through walls. <laughs> maybe I am a ghost. Like. I get it. You know, I would be more like Jordy and and think there was some other, you know, um, rational explanation. But I totally get where she came up with that. And then we hear we, the, the word for um, a Bajoran ghost is uh, is Borjas, which I thought that was interesting yeah, to like learn. It. Like that's cool. There, there is an um, episode in DS Nine where Kira mentions that as well. Oh, so there's awesome. that little bit of continuity. That's nice. nice. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Kira mentions yeah. it at one point. 
That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but that scene, you know, it's, it's a short scene, but it's, it's, it's pivotal to how we find out what, you know, what we're dealing with here in this episode. And it's, it's, it's truly terrifying for Roe. Like <laughs> I, I get, I, I like they, they play it off. Like, I mean, witnessing that is, is gotta be a, a big mind fuck <laughs> basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um and and yeah that that's my scene it's a short little scene but it's an important one it is it's quite horrifying i i got a yeah. real like dickensian feel from it like yeah imagine yeah. this happening in real life if someone's like overhearing people talking about their death and thinking that's it they think i'm dead right i, I must be dead i mean but, maybe like I in am. christmas carol yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> mm. to actually have that have had someone have that discussion and you realize this must be true of you um and it's horrible and she really affects her because she she really goes down the road of feeling feeling like i'm dead i've, I've died yeah. Yeah. whereas geordie never never does no. that he never feels like that he's, <laughs> yeah. like, much... he's like what i'm a ghost with a visor and a uniform yeah. <laughs> and hungry he must have been hungry at this hungry, point right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> not falling through the floor, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so while the going's good, where are we getting our points for Six Sig Bay? Uh, I'm giving my point to the Hoshi Archer scene. I think that's a lovely way to end that episode, and um, and it it really gets to to the point of of why this episode matters. You know what I mean? Besides, it just it's just it was all a dream. You know, there's there's still something that to take away for the characters and for us. So. That's where my point's going. And Michael? Oh, this is so hard. Um, I, I, I love both scenes for different reasons. Um, I mean, the, 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 the one in the next phase is so um, spooky and horrifying. I mean, as, as we were saying, you know, what basically watching somebody fill out your death certificate, you know, and, and, you're there and they're there and you can't reach them. You know, it's just such a horrifying sort of spooky scene. Um, and the Archer Hoshi scene, it's a smaller scene in a, in, in a way. It's, I mean, it's just like a little epilogue to the, to the, uh, to the episode. Um, but it's really touching. Oh, I don't know. I'm really stuck. <laughs> that that's part um, of be, uh, of snap yeah. checking is really, <laughs> really, it. really it's hard. Point decisions. decisions. <laughs> oh, that's it. Um, and sometimes it's ask me again tomorrow, and I would have picked the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, it, if yeah. it helps, Michael, I'm going to give my point to Hoshi as well because I think that you made a powerful case for the the yeah. whole interconnectivity of the series. And it was nice that it was real. That was a real thing that happened. And everything else yeah. was unreal. Even Rose's death yeah. isn't real. So this is a nice real moment between Archer and Hoshi, which I really liked. I, th I, th I think for what it says about Hoshi and also Hoshi's relationship with Archer, what Archer sees in Hoshi, the qualities he sees in her, I think I I just find that scene so so lovely that I I'm gonna go for it. But again, 
tomorrow i might think (laughs) differently so yeah yeah so yeah archer and hoshi okay so for six sick bay a clean sweep for vanishing point um round four oh well, let me give the points actually so that that brings us up to vanishing point has a, a five and the next phase not far behind with a four so still any anywhere to go for this 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 game <laughs> uh for for round four why don't we start solving some of these problems and get some of the glorious techno babble? <laughs> Jen, what do you have for glorious techno babble? Oh, there's so much good stuff in this. You know, we start off with the the you know the Romulan ship, and and there was a force chamber explosion in the resonator Ooh, coil, yes, and yes. the graviton field generator has been completely depolarized, <laughs> and I hate when that happens. And you know, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, we've got my personal all-time favorite chronotons, you know, anion yeah. emitters, is, uh, you know, and interface generators. But you know, it, 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 there's so much. Um, but I have a runner-up, and then a and then a winner here. Okay. So my my runner-up up is the we get to learn some romulan units of measurement in this episode which i just love so here's what we get we get the pressure in the containment chamber has increased 15 melicoles (laughs) (laughs) which you know sounds like a lot (laughs) 15 melicoles my god (laughs) and then and then later on when the problem solves okay the power flow is consistent at 400 colems much more reasonable (laughs) but i love it i love that this just they just made up these random terms like of course the romulans would have different units of measurement than we would Mm -hmm. um i like that melicoles and colems are obviously related you know melicole is is you know probably like you know, a, a multiplier of a colem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like mega, yeah, mega, yeah, melacrocrin, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So that, like, that just, that just always gets me. So that's, that's some of my favorite techno babble there. So I need to, I had to give them a shout out for that. Um, but my, what I'm giving it to is the Romulans' plan to blow up the Enterprise here. They got a, pr- a pretty good uh, techno babble made up plan here. <laughs> so the Enterprise's power transfer beam is at full intensity until they switch to internal power. So what do you do in that case? You set up a, a, a muon feedback wave inside the transfer beam. The particles will accumulate in their dilithium chamber, chamber and pow. You know, they, of course, then the, the enterprise will explode. And I just, I just love that. The muon feedback wave. And they can't find it. Jordan, you know, Jordy and Roe hear this plan and they go back and they look for a muon feedback wave and they can't find it because the Romulans must be hiding it in the sensor return signal. <laughs> and I just love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, because it's hard to come up with a way like that they could blow up the enterprise because you got to think there's a lot of different fail safes and things. And and I'm I'm will they tried so hard with that. I'm willing to totally accept that. <laughs> sure. Mean, you know, maybe um, maybe Jordy uh after all this, Jordy wrote a corrective action to, you know, have a muon wave detector inside the dilopium chamber or yes. something like yeah, that. Scan for the muons. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that one just got me. That's there's a lot of good techno babble there for how they could possibly blow up the flagship of the Federation. Yeah, I, I like. <laughs> and I I'll like accept that it. Mirok's villainous plan was essentially unintelligible. <laughs> right. Yes. He's doing something. Right. Uh, those muons. <laughs> it's the very definition of techno babble, isn't it? It really yes. is. Yeah, it makes me laugh. So okay. that's my pick. That's uh, that's an excellent pick. It's very good. Um, Michael, what do you have for glorious techno babble in Vanishing Point? Okay, um, well, just a quick shout out first to the unfortunate but apparently very famous Cyrus Ramsey. <laughs> um, we get we get a very brief and very simple bit of techno babble when Hoshi's colleagues first tell her about him in the mess hall. As Trip describes it, Madison, Wisconsin, May, I think. I don't know why I think that's that's funny. Um, Twenty-one forty-six. He was a test subject for the first long-range transport, just one hundred meters. Something went wrong with the pattern buffer. He never rematerialized. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's just a shout out. I mean, that's very very simple technical. <laughs> the rest of the episode has a fair amount, much of which. I don't know, is this a word? But I, I, I always call it medno babble when it's medical <laughs> techno babble. Yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> and what I like about it is that because of the circumstances, it has a real emotional charge. So, like, techno babble is usually really kind of dry, isn't it? It's just like people saying, like, you know, we need to increase the amnion emissions or the chroniton radiation or whatever. Um, but this, um, it was really difficult to pick a specific piece of techno, techno medno babble here. <laughs> but really, I'm including all the techno babble that relates to and explains Hoshi's disappearance. Unusually for this kind of dialogue, it started very solemnly with barely suppressed emotion, really, by all of the characters. And I actually find it very moving. Um, and even in retrospect, you know, even when I know that none of it's real, I still feel the character's kind of grief and sadness. Just mm -hmm. even even when Phlox is describing um, what's happened. I mean, examples are um, in the sick bay scene between Phlox and Archer and Paul, where Hoshi's actually looking on, although obviously they can't see her. Phlox says, these are the biomolecular scans I took of each of her two visits. They seem perfectly normal at the time, but you see these protein filaments. Now look at this. And then Archer says what we'd probably all say when faced with something like that, that we can't make head or tail of. He says, I'm going to need some help here, Phlox. And Flock says, well, look how, how much her subcellular membranes have degraded. These scans were taken less than 24 hours apart. It's virtually impossible. And T'Pol says, Ensign Sato wasn't imagining it. Her molecules are coming apart. Mm -hmm. In the following scene, <laughs> so my cat's, my cat's just suddenly decided to play with her mouse. Um, right. so, hello, Tally. <laughs> um, it... Uh, Trip is in the transporter room with Phlox and T'Pol. Um, again, they're being watched without realizing it. He says, it's the secondary phase coils. They're not perfectly synchronized. 
And Flock says, if they're not perfectly synchronized, to Paul says, the resequencing would start to dissipate. Within hours, she'll lose molecular cohesion. Mm. Flock says, Captain, if there was a loss of molecular cohesion, I'm afraid we shouldn't be looking for Hoshi per se. Archer says, what should we be looking for? Subcellular residue. There wouldn't be anything left by now except for subcellular residue. So Archer says to the pole in some... We're, we're, I just find this, Scott Beck is such an underrated actor. He expresses such sadness here. He says, have the doctor help you recalibrate the sensors, then start scanning for this residue. Just that little pause there. Mm. And then in the Jeffrey's tube, Flock says, there's no way to be certain this is her. It's difficult to tell. The amino acids are broken down. Trip finds something and Flock says, try isolating the dipeptides. Now run a comparison with a genetic profile. <laughs> <laughs> the, the scanner shows a match. And Flock says something which I think is really, that says and does something which feels really creepy and upsetting to me. He says, Captain Archer will want Hoshi's parents to have this. Yeah, yeah. I thought that. When he gets they're a little envelope. He, he says, they're both alive, aren't they? And then he scrapes a bit of green goo into an envelope, <laughs> like he's about to post it to they gather in the ectoplasm and yeah. they all put it in the sample containers. Oh so, my oh. god. But it's like putting it in an envelope, put it to put their parents' address yeah. on it and just like, wanna, send it. <laughs> they wanna bury this. Um, oh, that's but, it, but it's if it, if it was real, if you didn't know that Hoshi was sitting there watching them. It would be so incredibly sad. I mean, yeah. all that's left of their colleague, their friend, who they've known for like, what, one and a half years, is just this little bit of green goo on the floor. It's just, it's really creepy and it's really sad yeah. at the same time. And um, and it's just, yeah. So it's, it's a completely different kind of techno babble from in the next phase which just goes all out. I mean, I mean, people say about Voyager and how much technobabble there is in Voyager. <laughs> I think the, the next phase is just, I, it's partly, I suppose, because Geordie's in it, so he's, yeah. he speaks a lot of technobabble anyway. Um, but it, it just goes all out. Whereas in, in, um, in, a, in Vanishing Point, I, I mean, I, I don't know enough about, I don't know anything about genetics really, so I don't know <laughs> how convincing it all is. Um, so I guess it is techno babble or medno babble, but it has this real yeah, kind of, is. it has this kind of just, just this emotional resonance to it because they're not just saying the words. They're not just saying this techno babble They're They're really feeling what it means, um, to them. Um, even though of course, like I just keep saying, they're not real. <laughs> it's just in Boshi's mind, but it's it's just really um it's really unusual in star trek to have this kind of language spoken in this kind of very um sort of subdued sad kind of way yeah um, right actually because usually they're very excited like they're discussing these possibilities or these right. ideas or they're yeah. solving problems yeah whereas here the yeah. problem is 
why is Hoshi dead or what's right. happened to Hoshi? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, like I, I said, I, I don't... Go sorry, ahead. Carry on. No, go ahead, Michael. Oh, it's just that, like I said, I, I don't think they've ever lost anyone before. I don't think yeah. they lose anyone until season three. That's in the Zindi arc. I don't think... I think it's it's not like in the original series where a red shirt dies in every episode. It's like no. um it, it no nobody's died yet. I don't think even that guy who first went through the transporter in um oh what was the episode? Um Um Strange New World when he comes mm. back and he's got all those leaves embedded in his skin. Oh, and stuff yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, think, I think even he survived. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah he, he just went to sick bay and got all the leaves. Yeah, yeah. Out. Surgically um, removed, I guess. That, that was a transporter accident as well. Oh, so no man. wonder how she's worried. You know? Oh, you're not yeah, getting absolutely. me on this transporter. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Oh, it, it, it's so striking. And and the, the phrase subcellular residue always is a gut punch to me yeah because it's yeah. it's like oh because it's i mean residue is bad enough of that being all that's left you but subcellular residue so it's not even like any cells of you are left it's just like mm. you know little fragments in the wind of some you know of something that you you know that's all that's left is like like bl- a blowing in the wind of of you mm. like, i don't know like it's just it's just a very like that phrase is 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 horrifying when you you know <laughs> in like a, in like a, a metaphysical kind of way subcellular yeah. residue oh man gut punch it, i mean it implies subcellular implies the existence of something or someone who was once alive doesn't it it's yeah. it's not just residue it's it's residue that comes from an animal or a person or something yeah 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 well on that cheery note let's think about the points (laughs) what are your points going for glorious techno babble gen oh subcellular residue versus uh muon waves (laughs) (laughs) oh man um I think I think I think I'm going to go to the to the muon feedback wave for this one just because I think it's funny that they I, they had a hard job to try to find a way t- that they could blow up the enterprise mm-hmm. without any you know without being discovered and and it was a pretty pretty clever way to techno babble their way out of that I think mm. I mean Miro um, came up with it pretty quickly yeah he, he had it obviously <laughs> it very long this. yeah. No. <laughs> Um, but I love I, the Menno babble. That's funny. And yeah, yeah Menno babble is, is that's a great part word. of my terminology. I'll be using that. Yeah, I'll be using that one. I, <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, and and I like that. And and there's so there's so much good stuff in there. And yeah, um, but yes, I'm just just squeaking it out to the to the muon feedback wave. <laughs> uh, Michael, what's your point going to go for? Um... I think I'm going to go with uh, the next phase as well, just because it just goes so all out with the techno babble. There's just so much of it. Um, and um, uh, LeVar Burton's one of those actors who who can really say it 
like it actually yeah. means something. Yeah. I mean, some actors, I think, struggle with technobabble and, and they admit to struggling with it. You know, they admit to not liking to have to say these things because um, they're, they're difficult to say with any kind of, um, uh, well, they're not emotional. It's very dry and it's also meaningless, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, But uh, LeVar Burton just kind of makes it sound kind of, natural you know and so does um brent spiner so you know yeah i just um i really love i i i do really feel moved by the the, the medna babble in um vanishing point but i just think there's just a part of me that just loves it when star trek goes all out with this yeah. stuff about amnion emissions and muon waves and um and i think some of it does connect up and make some kind of internal logic even if it's not based on real physics yeah it can yeah. be just um, surface level enough for you to enjoy the fact it's happening without yeah, you need to know mean, exactly I mean, what's going on the number of times in star trek that they refer to chronoton particles you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's something that's consistent um and that kind of makes it feel more believable um yeah. i think i'm going to go with the next phase as well okay so it's two points for the next phase I'll be honest, Michael, if you kept with Cyrus Ramsey, I think I definitely would have given you my points. I think that sort of, that vintage techno babble in the form of a ghost story, I really had a thing for that. Oh my God. And I do enjoy the Medno babble. And actually, you sold it very well in terms of the solemn solemn aspect of it. But the, the Miroc. The Mirox muon wave. I mean, that is next level techno babble. You can't, <laughs> you can't sniff at it. Yeah. It's so good, and I was happy listening to it. I was like, okay, fine. That's devious, and it's going to work. And the Enterprise is in genuine danger now. So I yeah, was happy. Yeah. I was on board with it. <laughs> so I am. I'm there. I'm there on the uh, the Romulan muon wave. Yeah, and it's funny because you didn't have to know what that meant. You just had to know. We're in a speed, you know, reverse speed situation. You know yeah, exactly. Enterprise goes to warp and they blow up. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was that? What was that unit of measurement you mentioned? That, that specifically one million. Melicoles. Melicoles. It reminded me of um, the Klingons have this um, unit of distance called the Kelly Cam. I love I it. I love that. it. <laughs> But it, you, you hear it first in the motion picture, in Star Trek, the motion oh, picture, in the so opening good. scene, yes. where one of the Klingons says to the captain that the the, the, the Vija cloud is like so many Kelly cams away. <laughs> and then so it's never Kelly mentioned cams. again until like the next generation where Worf's on board a Klingon ship, or it might even be DS9, oh, and he mentions that something's so many Kelly cams away. And I think they remembered that from 1979. <laughs> oh, those are the best. Star Trek's got a long memory. It's got a long yeah. memory. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of canon connection. Yeah. It's <laughs> just great. the random, yeah. <laughs> random keeping keeping things consistent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just so, that one yeah. word that's like mentioned yeah. this series <laughs> and this series. It's a ridiculous word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Kelly cams. I did not know that. Well, I'll be looking out for. Oh man, well, I'll be okay. looking out for Melicoles and if we see more Romulans yeah, so and uh, Picard. I don't know if yeah. it's ever. I don't know if it's ever come up again. But <laughs> okay, so after round four, we are five points for Vanishing Point, and 
uh, a lovely seven points for the next phase. So really all to play for when it comes to the final round. And now we've got here and we've survived all this way. <laughs> do any of you have any survivor guilt? Michael, um, do you have any survivor guilt? Yes, I do. <laughs> Quite a lot. I'm feeling a lot of survivor guilt here. Yikes. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, to some extent, you could argue that Archer and Flox experience survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, in Hoshi's mind, of course. Um, Flox expresses it in his changed demeanor, and particularly in his remark in Sick Bay when he says, I should have taken her more seriously. Mm-hmm. So you feel yes. that although he expresses himself, you know, he doesn't sort of lay his heart on his sleeve, Flocks, but you sort of feel that um, he does feel bad about not not taking her seriously on in her two visits to him. Arch also arguably experiences some survivor guilt understandably because he's responsible for the lives of his crew members um and i don't know i mean yes yes archer does make a terrible job of talking to bakai on the phone um but uh at the same time you can really feel how painful this part of his job must be Mm -hmm. Um, and when he movingly says she's become a member of our family, which I think is a, it's always a central aspect in Enterprise and Star mm-hmm. Trek generally, that, that you know that the crew is a found family. Um, Archer doesn't say he feels guilty, but I feel he does. I feel he feels responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but my pick is Trip. Um, I think. Connor Trenier's acting here is so affecting. He's such a natural actor. Um, and the character of Trip is always somebody who's, who's very, very good at being open with his emotions. Um, so in the transporter room, he says, I'm the one who should be missing. I told her to go first. She should have listened to me. And after he and Flox discover who she's subcellular residue he stays behind a while and he says he's having kind of like an imaginary conversation to her she and he's saying i should have made you go first what was i thinking i was the ranking officer and then he blames hoshi as well he says why didn't you listen to me i told you it would be safe now look what you've done now i mean obviously this isn't real and maybe it expresses some guilt on Hoshi's part or maybe it's just her idea of what Trip would say but it does feel to me very like how Trip would react and it's also a very human way to react the conflicting and irrational feelings that people have when they're bereaved you know we often blame ourselves we sometimes blame the deceased for leaving us even though that's irrational and I just think Connor Trinia is just so great at expressing these kinds of feelings in the way it looks forward to his grief over his sister in season three, um, especially in The Forgotten, which is a favourite episode of mine. It's just a lovely, lovely episode where he has this scene with T'Pol and he's crying for his sister. Um, I just, um, yeah, I picked that because 
um, it's really, really obvious that he's experiencing really intense survivor guilt. Um, he's and he just expected it again. The acting is just so great. You know, I just think Connor Tree is just so great at this sort of thing. Yeah. And you, you just really feel for Trip and really warm to Trip when he's open with his emotions like that. You know, there's scenes in later on in Enterprise where he's in tears, you know. Um you know, and... this is this is so right because he actually he is like the emotional heart of Enterprise all the way through, isn't he? Mm. Because Arch mm. is always angry and Hoshi's anxious and Reed has concern, but he always expresses a, a bigger range of emotions and tries to encourage other people to experience them as well. So, yeah, a really nice and, sort of selection. And that's why I think in some ways he sort of, he, he and T'Pol feel so kind of right in a way they're kind of like opposites aren't they yeah yeah, yeah. um and then when to pole starts to lose control of her emotions later in season three and he's trying to help her through it you know it's 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 just um and she doesn't you know she doesn't know how to ask for help because she's she's not used to having these emotions but trip trip just knows he knows what to do um and um yeah, he's he's just very very good in this scene, and I think even even though even when you've seen it before, you know it's not real. You know it's Hoshi imagining it, but it's still moving. Yeah. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I agree with what you said too. I mean, like, yeah, cause when you think about the scene, it's 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 in Hoshi's mind, but I, I mean, this is a hundred percent how Trip would have acted in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. Th- you know. I think we can just. You know. Assume that that's exactly what would have happened. And. And yeah. And, and like watching him talk about it though too, it makes me wonder, did he do something wrong? Um. You know, with protocol, on the planet, like like is he right mm. that he he definitely should not have he should have made her go first. Like, is that true? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that something that's like, that's like really what the the rules are. And if so, it's, it's so interesting that he, he thought he was helping her by going first. You know what I mean? But yeah. was that the, was that r- really the wrong thing to do? And I get, I guess if you think about it, it does make sense to have the, the commanding officer be the last one to leave. So it might have um, been the, the 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 right protocol, but 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 the right thing to do in terms of like helping Hoshi, yeah, was for him to go first, yeah, because he needed yeah. to reassure her that it was right, safe, right? So yeah, got that kind of conflict going on there. Yeah, because mm. I could see. I mean, because because in the beginning, their their conversation is very interesting, where she's freaking out about it, and he's like. He's like, you know, don't worry. You know, the captain's done mm-hmm. it. Reed's done it. You know, and 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 she's it's like, fine. And and she, yeah, go ahead. And she's and, like, you know, how many molecules you have in your body? Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's one he's hell like, of a jigsaw puzzle or something. Yeah, he's like, yeah, <laughs> a couple of trillion. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's interesting because he, I mean, he's trying to just let her because they also have to make the decision quick because they're trying to get out of there before this the storm happens and and he just says he you know he i think he does he's i think he suggests does he suggest or she suggests i don't remember 
Um, but that's kind of important too, of how you would, how you would grieve about that. Like if, if that was yeah. my suggestion, if I said, I'll go first, you, you know, and then you can see. And I think then- she suggests it. I think she says, I'll, I'll do it if you go first. And he said, that's fine with me. And he, okay. just, All he right. just does it. He's like, yeah, I'll show you, I'll show you that it's nothing. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. he goes up and, and she hears him on the calm. And that he's okay. Mm. And then she decides to, then she goes in. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Cause that's, oh yeah. Cause I can, I mean, yeah, that's, an, that's just an interesting scenario. Cause, cause there's the one thing like, like, even if that wasn't a protocol, you would feel guilty being the one yeah, that survived absolutely. that. Yeah. But also if yeah. it also was the wrong thing to do from, from procedural procedurally, that's, that adds another layer of you feeling guilty yeah. and that's, like we told yeah. we told you not to do this yeah like oh this you know like that's just you know that's one of the reasons like the last person out is the one in command and that's just how it is mm. and, oh man mm. yes yeah, so there's that's it's just an interesting scenario and and yeah and everything you guys were saying about trip i try to stay out of <laughs> <laughs> having too much trip love on the <laughs> show the you know myself show, but show, yeah. you guys <laughs> You guys said it so lovely. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was laying it on the foot. Wonderful acting. Trying to get my point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but everything you guys said was spot on about Trip and why he's such a such a compelling character. But yeah, so that's a very good pick okay, <laughs> for many so reasons. Trip, Trip did have a good dose of survivor's guilt. I really yeah. felt that. But Jen, in in the next phase did anyone suffer survivor guilt okay so in the next phase um nobody has guilt in the sense that like they were also in the accident and and survived you know the the way that trip like directly trip has survivor's guilt Mm -hmm. um so but we do have you know we do have survivors who are mourning the loss of their friends um and and my runner up for that is Riker. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Riker agreeing to or asking Picard if he can say a few words about Roe at the memorial service. Um, and that that's a really interesting development, you know, based on on the history of Roe and Riker and and how mm. you know they don't always get along and 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 how um you would Roe is under the impression that Riker hates her. Yeah, and that's obviously not true. And you know, and I think it's Riker has Riker's another personal favorite character of mine. And I, Riker has this thing where he's openly hostile to anyone who reminds him of things he doesn't yes. like about himself. Yes, that's what it is. That's what gets him. If you have a characteristic that reminds him of something he doesn't like about himself, he and he does not hide it. He doesn't have a poker face about it. He's an asshole to you. You know what I mean? If, if that's the case. In, and, including when he later on meets uh, himself, who went through a transporter. Yes, exactly. They're just so right. Exactly, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, the extreme version of that. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, but but I, I just think they are so similar, these characters, in, a, in, a, in many ways. And... And I really, I also really want to know what Riker was going to say to Roe about Roe mm-hmm. uh, at the surface. I think it would have been lovely um, because I think he really does recognize all the positive qualities in Roe that we see. And he just wouldn't ever say it in any other circumstance. And now we'll never know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but that's my runner up. I thought that was a, a nice touch to throw in there. You know, yeah, I like that, that Um but I'm picking data for this because this is this is one of the highlights of this episode is is data 
data asking to plan the memorial service for Jordy and Roe. Um, because, you know, he considered Jordy his best friend, he says, to mm. part. And he says, um, and, you know, and, and, he, and he works so hard to, to get it right. You know, he's really concerned about getting it right. And, there, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a scene, he talks to, there's a scene with him talking to Worf uh, about it, about what they should do. And, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know what's appropriate. And then. You know, and Rose Bajoran, so you want to consider that. And, you know, and and they talk about, <laughs> and, uh, and Rose, you know, we want to consider her, you know, the Bajoran beliefs. And and she's like, oh, please, not the death chant. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. <laughs> He's like, the Bajoran je- death chant, which is two hours long, or, you know, whatever. Oh, Imagine what, mid- what their midwifery is like as well when Kira gives birth and how long oh, that. Yeah. Like hitting that gong and oh, yeah, you have to do yeah everything and are you shaking? No, they shake maracas or something. Something, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, oh, no, it's it's so fun. It. Oh yeah, you had to do yeah. it like in a certain rhythm, and then you couldn't yeah. stop, or then through the whole. You have to start yeah. over so again. You just, yeah. So you can just imagine what the death chant would be like. Right. Yeah. Oh man, it's so funny. But so he he works really hard, and and he said he says he's oh we we see a, we see a couple nice really nice scenes with people saying really nice things about the, you know, about, about Roe and Jordy. And, and, the, and, you know, he says, he says, Zeta says, I never knew what a friend was until I met Jordy. And oh my God, uh, because that that's sweet because you know, it's literally true mm. because he's an Android, you know, because you could say that, Oh, I never knew what a friend was until I met, you know, had a friend like you. And, but that's just, that, that you don't, that's not a literal thing that, you know what I mean? You don't literally mean that mm. you knew what friendship was, but data literally means that. <laughs> he learned what friendship was from Jordy, and I it, his little speech there is beautiful, and it may, it just makes me want to cry every time. Um, yeah. The thing that I really love about this is Data, the android, throws literally the best funeral in history. <laughs> <laughs> he managed to get it a hundred percent perfect. There's, it's a celebration of their lives, and that's what every funeral should be you know i mean he, there's music there's food there's drinks there's balloons you know breaker plays the trombone and and it's and and everybody's there talking about all their memories of jordy and roe and, and it's just really lovely and he knocked it out of the park and i think i think that's i just think that's so neat that that data managed to just get it 100% perfect and it's just so it's just such a lovely touch to this episode um their funeral I, I just love everything about that scene and oh and it's just it's just lovely that's it that's all I just the, I'm sorry. the I'm just, funeral myself now. One of the, I think it's one of the best scenes it's one of the best scenes in the show but I think it beyond is, that yeah. It really makes you think about what you would like to happen, right? At your own yeah. funeral, mm. and yep. I'd never, I'd never, you know, I watched this episode years ago, but I'd never thought about anything like this. Because why right. would you? <laughs> but uh, to think, oh yeah, what a wonderful idea for everyone to yeah. come and have a nice time and to to remember you in a positive way mm. and to talk about the things they like and to enjoy spending time thinking about mm-hmm. you. Wow. What an amazing thing. And it makes puts in perspective like the stayed funerals that you would imagine, you know, Wolf described them very well, doesn't he? About how <laughs> sort of somber and sort of melancholy they mm. are. Mm. But mm. how how much more interesting it would be to have something exciting and that 
you wish you'd wish you were at and you're glad your friends are at yeah that's exactly the kind of funeral i would want i would want the one that data throws for Jordy and Roe. I do not want people having yeah. to stand around and listen to the Bajoran death chant for two right. hours in my memory. Like, yeah. <laughs> and we see a lot of, you know, funerals in Star Trek where, you know, they're, they're very dignified and, you know, they're, yeah. they're the torpedo tube and they say nice Back words pipes. and everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, what is Saru? What's, what's Saru's? Um, oh, she's again. Song. Oh, the yeah. dirge. Yeah. yeah. What, what yeah. can I think of the species name? Kelpian. 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 Yeah. You get the Kelpian uh, funeral song, which is yeah. beautiful and lovely and touching. Um, and, but that I just love this. That, that was in that episode of Truck Ranks that you did, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, when we did songs. Well, you did the songs. Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember if it was you or Justin picked yeah, that. Just, yeah, Justin that was, picked that, and that was a good moment. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd completely forgotten it until I heard that Trek Franks episode. And I thought <laughs> that is gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, it was lovely. Is, don't you think this is the best, liveliest? Party yeah, but yeah, I would personally Star Trek have, have this until <laughs> until, my... until Judge's bachelorette party. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're both. They're both you know, parties and social gatherings in Star Trek are usually very kind of like quiet and there's there's either no music or there's a string quartet or something <laughs> like that. But um, which is lovely. I love string quartets. Um, but um, but but you know this is like a real party, isn't it? There's music yeah. and there's laughter and people chatting and you know and as soon as they walk in, Geordie's like, "This is perfect, absolutely <laughs> perfect." And and he says, doesn't he? he? Says to Data, he says, "Never been to a better funeral." Right. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. um, and I also like the way that I also like the way that um, when when Data when Data's discussing this, he's talking to Worf um, about advice about what kind of I think it's Worf, isn't it, in the shuttlecraft? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it reminds me there's a scene in Data's day where he wants to know what gifts to buy for Miles and Keiko's wedding. And he's talking to Worf there as well. And this kind of replicator thing with <laughs> displays of all different wedding gifts. And Worf's got oh, this display right. of all these like, like crystal, um, crystal glasses or whatever. <laughs> and he says, and Data says, oh, I think, uh, as I understand it, the gift giving should reflect something of the personality of the giver. This does not remind me of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, just found it, I just found it interesting that he's talking to Worf in both of those cases, like, you know, what, what asking for advice about what kind of, um, what kind of, um, how, you know, how do how do people celebrate or maybe the outside make perspective on human things. culture? Like yeah. you know, somebody who has to do, who deals with it on a daily basis, who's been essentially raised in it as an outsider. Yeah, yeah. he might have that perspective, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But I, was, I, I mean, also love. I also love um, what you said about Riker and Ro. I thought that was really, mm. really nice, and it, it made me wonder if Riker does actually feel some kind of guilt about the way he's treated Roe yes. um, in the past, yep. um, both at the beginning of the episode where she says something like, this is a bad idea. And he says, yeah. what was that? You know, and he, he really snaps at her really quickly. 
Um, and I wonder right. if he does feel if he if he if he feels some guilt about that, and um, just feels like I oh, wish wish I'd been nicer to her when she was around. You know. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. Even the last thing he says to her is him <laughs> being. Uh... <laughs> And, and also kind of at, yeah. at the end, after they've <laughs> yeah. they've they've reappeared at the, at the funeral, and did you notice he goes up and gives her a hug? Yeah, oh, that's um, nice. which I yeah, thought was sweet. Yeah. You know, so did he ever yeah. tell her? Do you think what it was he was going to no, say? No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> did you? Not Riker. <laughs> Riker wouldn't. No. Yeah. So because they would never have a chance for that moment, that kind of moment. Like they're just not intimate enough with each other. You know, wow. I, I don't. I don't mean wow. romantically. I, I know that's. Wow. <laughs> in this, in yeah, when they're aware of you know, um, besides that time, but I just, I just, I don't, I just mean intimate. Like I don't mean romantically. I just mean yeah. like, um, close enough episode, that they would have a heart to heart like that. You know, is this episode before the one where they have that night together? I think mm. it's. Before. I'm not sure. Because Ensign Row was only introduced this season. Yeah, because like, it's season oh, right. five. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it may, I mean, it may have been, but chances are it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, in that show, like, if, you know, if situations were different, they would have a lot in common. And yeah. <laughs> I ship it. <laughs> 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 I ship everything, though. You can't judge anything <laughs> by me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay okay let's get back on track people we've yes. got our last set of points to dish out survivor guilt point michael where is your point going for survivor guilt um well jen your your your, your pick really took me by surprise i i i, I thought you were gonna pick um Riker. um <laughs> it hadn't actually occurred to me that um that data was feeling some kind of survivor guilt as such because i wasn't really sure if he could feel guilt mm. but he does feel friendship and he does miss geordie i mean there's, mm -hmm. there's an episode somewhere where he gives a definition of friendship yeah and he says something about sensory input patterns and mm -hmm. and how they're anticipated <laughs> and even missed when absent so I think he does miss Geordie. He cares about Geordie in his in his way. He does feel emotion, I think, of some kind for Geordie. And um so that really took me by surprise. And I I um it's really touching and, and it's very, very data. It's just so data. The whole thing, everything he does in this episode is just so data. Um but I don't know. I just, even though it's imaginary, <laughs> I, I'm just so moved by Connor Trinier's acting as Trip, um, and it is just such a clear example of survivor guilt. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's feeling terrible, um, and just expresses it so well mm -hmm. and so movingly. So I, I think I'm going to pick that. Okay. Jen, right. where's your survivor guilt point so, going? I mean, it's interesting because, I, I mean, that funeral scene, that's one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek. It, it's really, I mean, it's got everything. It's got, it's got like, mm. you know, techno babble stuff happening. You know, it's got heart. It's really interesting and fun and, and, and lovely. Um, but what you said 
you know, and but also on the other hand, it's hard for me to not give triple point. <laughs> of, course. of course. No, but but what you said um about how it connects trip to 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 like you know to to like the broader characteristics of 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 trips um like place in the sh in the show and, and how he's he's the character who's allowed to be like that emotional center for other characters who who aren't as good at that and and he mm -hmm. is and it's really that's really mm -hmm. interesting about him that's one of the, you know one of the interesting things about that character um and and yeah and the, the and and the scene you picked is legit survivor guilt and and he plays it yeah. so well and and yeah so i'm giving trip my point <laughs> okay so and that, and that makes ross have to be the final <laughs> yeah i'll i'll be the decider um, i've lost track of the point so i don't know we're tied we up man oh okay seven each <laughs> so no pressure ross <laughs> no 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 and I, and I feel absolutely none either uh i will come through this guilt-free um <laughs> i i i think for genuine survivor guilt trip gives us the heartfelt survivor guilt that we're looking for in this yeah. this moment you know he 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 does it so well he feels bad for living he feels bad for her dying it's so perfectly trip as well. It really, it just it is him. It's it works so well. Part of me just loves that funeral though. It just yeah. loves it so much. Mm. It's so good. I, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with trip. I'm going with trip on this. All right. <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a full house for trip. I, and I'm surprised at myself <laughs> because I was really thinking it's going to be the funeral. I love, I love yeah. that funeral. I want that funeral for myself. Too. Same. Uh, I, I'm glad that they do that because it's it's so sort of out of the box. Really, it, they, mm. you, you don't really expect that. You don't know what Dave's going to come up with, but he comes up with something that's so perfect that we would all want it. I love it. But but Trip does it. He does the survivor guilt perfectly, and it's just it is really heartfelt. So I'm going to go for there, which means at the end of it, the next phase, a very respectable, <laughs> very respectable seven points, but just, just in vanishing into the distance with the win is the vanishing <laughs> point by a vanishing point with eight points. So there's oh, only so one close. in it. So, so close. close indeed. And I think that's I think that's respectable. I think yeah. these two episodes I'll play with the same idea, but they do it very differently. And I always I, I mean I always say that it works well as a pair, but this really did work well as a pair. That you know you watch <laughs> I watched uh, I watched the vanishing point first, and I followed it up with the next phase. Um, so I wonder if I'd have felt differently watching the other way around. But they were great. I, I thought the two takes on the same idea worked really nicely. And and I have one more thing to add about about um, next phase that we missed because oh, on, oh, this is going to be a lower decks reference Ooh. because Ooh, lower okay. lower decks has made something in this episode a hundred times funnier than it ever would have been <laughs> and oh, I love it so at the end of the funeral scene Jordy and Ro materialize. And one of the first things Jordy says, you know, he gets on this combat and he says, you know, um, the warp 
take the warp engine out of service. We, you know, don't use the warp engine, you know, mm. because that, that's what's going to trigger the things. So it was like, he's like, um, take that out of, out, of, out of service. And then you hear a random ensign get on the comm <laughs> and go to, and he says uh, to Captain McCarty, he says, Captain, who gave that order? And and uh, Captain Picard says uh, that was Commander Jordy LaForge Ensign. <laughs> Please follow his instructions. <laughs> and that's literally all this poor Ensign gets about how Jordy LaForge returned from the dead. <laughs> oh, I got it! I got it! And oh, it just God. killed that me watching so this <laughs> after seeing the lower decks that where Shax so returns. <laughs> And the ensigns don't get any more information. This oh, is Picard literally oh saying, God, "Ensign so Jordy LaForge gave me an order. Do it. I don't want to hear any questions from you." <laughs> you can just imagine that ensign, can't you? Afterwards, <laughs> how did he come back? Jordy's back for the dead. How did that happen? <laughs> Need to know basis, ensign. Need to know. <laughs> Let's say he wasn't in the process of, of email. You know, he didn't have Geordie's mum oh, on screen. He wasn't explaining what happened. I'm sorry to say, but he's passed. Oh, hold on. No, oh, wait, never mind. Never mind. False alarm. They always come back. <laughs> oh, but it just made me laugh this time. And I think that's that's one of the Goodness funny me, things that about Lower Decks. <laughs> made the, it made me laugh at something in the next phase, an episode that came out in 1992, <laughs> and now it's yeah. funnier because of Lower Decks. Yeah. <laughs> It makes me so yeah. happy. That is great. <laughs> that is so good. <sighs> I, I, I noticed. I noticed much more when I was watching like recent episodes of Lower Decks in season two. I just noticed so much, so many more of those like little, just I don't know, just like little callbacks that are like really yeah. far away. Yeah, you know, not 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 such a big thing as Shaxx's is. <laughs> dying and then coming back but but just like tiny little details that you you almost you maybe you don't notice when you first see it and you only notice when you watch it again but it's just right. um it's just full of things like that so I, I just love it so much <laughs> so well done All okay right. guys we have successfully snap tracked these two <laughs> these two episodes and i'm feeling pretty good about how it turned out yeah I would like to thank Michael for joining us and for indeed coming up with uh, this theme of uh, translucent trackers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so thank, thank you very you so much. much, Michael. And it's oh, been an absolute so pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful here being with you both and, uh, and, and talking about these episodes. It's just been such a privilege and, <laughs> and just so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Jen, it's been lovely to speak to you. Anything else from your, uh, anything else you want to search out into subspace before we go? Oh, I just want to say thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. uh, We absolutely do. And we look forward (laughs) to joining us next time when we will be discussing. Good. Now that we've finished with the old business, on to the new. Time to hand out next month's story assignments. Ritterhouse, we're waiting. Okay, friends and neighbors, let's see what Uncle Roy has for you today. And in the next episode of Snap Trek, we are heading out west for a bonanza of Star Trek Western-themed episodes. It is a it is a special episode you won't want to miss it, so do join us then. And until then, live fast and prosper.
Chief Prosmer. Yes, Commander. Set the anionic beam to its highest level and flood 10 forward. Aye, sir. Data, do you see us? Of course. LaForge to engineering. Take the warp engines offline until further notice. There's a muon wave building up inside the dilithium chamber. Captain, who gave that order? That was Commander Geordi LaForge, Jensen. Please follow his instructions. Aye, sir. Well, it looks like a great party. You don't mind if we join you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 